This is the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. I'm Bob Hyatt, Doug Moister. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Bob. Yes, good to see you too. So we're uh, halfway through the summer here. How have things been going for you? Uh, <laughs> well, pretty good. It's uh, it's beautiful here in Boise, Idaho. And I, I will tell you, um, we moved from Portland, Oregon for a number of different reasons, but one of the main ones was trading 300 days a year of rain and clouds for 300 days a year of sun. I, I don't think I'll ever regret that trade. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds about fair. I, I, I lucked out um, when I was in my DMIN program out at Portland Seminary. I want to say the first time, the first three weeks that I was out there, there was no rain for the entire week. Yeah. And yeah. it was in the fall and people were like, this is really bizarre. I was like, wow. Why do people complain about all the rain here? Uh, yeah, f- fall in Portland is actually pretty beautiful. The best, the best weather that uh, Portland and Oregon gets will be like August and September, leading into October. Yeah. And so, depending on when you get there, you might have a good experience. But don't worry. The bad stuff is coming. <laughs> that sounds like a great intro to like a pastor, a book on past, like just being a pastor. Like, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You're gonna don't love worry. The first day. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. Winter is coming. Yes. Well, you yeah. know, like we talk about winter coming and just, you know, sort of having, having reality forced on us as pastors is, is a thing that, I don't know if anything can really prepare us for what's about to come, right? Like when you're a young pastor, it's like, oh, this is great. I get to shape people for Jesus. And, you know, we get to see people's lives transformed. And then you're in your first, you know, meeting for being reprimanded for, you know, uh, setting off the fire alarm and having the whole fire department show up uh, at your church, which not that that ever happened to me, but but if it did... Um, you just remember those moments. Yeah. You're like, I never thought I'd be dealing with this. Or when you fill out your first incident report where, you know, maybe some teenagers on the back of the bus thought it'd be hilarious to get lighters hot and brand each other, you know, and, and one of those oh people goodness. was a visitor. <laughs> but when those days come, we realize this need to have someone to journey with us. And so I know yeah. for both yeah. you and I, we've been really blessed to have, um, you know, counselors and and spiritual directors and coaches mm-hmm. in our life but yeah i i know you know you've you've spoken very highly of your the spiritual director that you had when you were in the portland area tell us a little bit about what led you to that bob and and just that relationship yeah i was coming up on year 7 of church planting and uh i had been warned that that was going to be the hardest year and uh, that turned out to be the truth and when I sought out a spiritual director, I wasn't at burnout, but I could see burnout from where I was. And I wanted to take a little bit of proactive uh, steps to guard my mental, emotional, spiritual health. And so engaging with uh, my spiritual director, his name is Morris, there in the Portland area. I knew he worked with pastors. And it was just good for me to have someone to talk to that had been there, that knew the struggles, that completely empathized, um, that listened well, that mirrored back to me much of of what I was saying, sometimes in an empathic way, sometimes in a, huh, is that really what you mean? Hmm. Kind of way. And uh, it was just, it was a good, uh, 
it, w- it was just good to have someone, uh, as you say, to journey with me over the next week. Uh, I think I worked with Morris for about 10 years, I think. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what would you say to the pastor who, who is sort of feeling that pinch where, you know, they're seeing, they're seeing the reality of what, of, of what ministry is and they're recognizing the toll that it's taking on one's soul. Like, when do you think there's a appropriate space for counseling or spiritual director or, or even like just a coach, like how, how would someone know the difference? Because I feel like there's a lot of times when people hear about those three things and they're like, oh, well, which one do I need? Do you feel like yeah. you have found a way to sort of help pastors discern what is most needed? Yeah, I would say um, if you are in the first, uh, the first third, first half of ministry, you need a coach. Hmm. And what a coach is going to do is they're not going to tell you what to do. They're going to help you figure out what it is that, that you're trying to do and what God wants you to do. They're going to help you listen. They're going to, um, but it's not a telling discipline. It's an asking discipline. Um, I think as you get older um, and priorities shift and the way that my spiritual director put it was the first half is particularly the first half of life is about uh, the container. The second half is about the contents. Mm-hmm. And as as we age, I think spiritual direction becomes more and more important, particularly when you begin that kind of downward journey and you hit that, that dark night of the soul, uh, which comes in the second half somewhere. Um, as you're facing the, the, the crisis of limitation, seeing I have only so much time left, I am not where I thought I would be. Life is not what I thought it would be. You, that's where you really need that spiritual companion, that spiritual friend. Um, and anywhere along the line, I say where you have something that is acute, something that is, um, causing distress in your life or someone else's life, that's when you engage with a counselor. Mm. Um, so I would say have a coach then later in life, have a spiritual director and anywhere along the the line where you need it, spend some time with a counselor. Mm. Yeah. How have you thought about that? What, I mean, I know that you do spiritual direction and, and coaching and have you thought about when is, when, which is more appropriate or when you would recommend? Yeah. I mean, which one? Well, I, I really appreciate your framework, Bob, because my sense is that that is so accurate um, in terms of, where I was and where I am right now, where, um, Mm. and even realizing too, like, uh, I mean, I think it was maybe five or six years ago that I engaged coaching with you, um, which was super helpful because I was in that space of just, you know, needing to have someone ask the right questions to just help me kind of, you know, work Mm -hmm. through the next step of, of ministry and leadership and what that was going to look like. And, and that felt like a really important thing, but I would say over the last four years, it's been that spiritual director, which makes sense that mm. that would put me at about 15 to 20 years, about, uh, about 15 to 19 years is where I switched from, from co- from having a coach to having a spiritual director. And, and yeah, I would agree. I feel like I've engaged, I've been really blessed to, uh, I feel like I have counselors on retainer. That's not true, but, um, 
<laughs> I've been able, uh, I had, I went through some really hard stuff in the first couple of years of ministry where um, three out of, yeah, we had three, three affairs within the church that I was working at. Um, and it just rocked my world. I was a young follower of Jesus, a young Christian and, and, mm. um, and, a, and a young pastor who didn't have a lot of uh, wisdom or knowledge. And I remember sharing that with, uh, with a, a friend of mine and he just started weeping and said, buddy, you should probably be in some counseling. And so mm. I engaged in counseling at that time and for about a year. And it was so helpful to just come into the framework of, of health and, and wholeness, because I think what I realized is uh, I, I didn't like or trust pastors and there, and I was a pastor. And so therefore I didn't like or trust myself as well. And I really had mm -hmm. some big questions about who God was in the midst of all that. Um, and so, yeah, I felt like, and then a few years back, I engaged counseling again, cause I just feel like I hit sort of this emotional wall that I, I sensed I needed other hands to help me look into, um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's nice the fact that you and I get a chance to coach and I love that you coach coaches, just taking the, the transformational, uh, coaching model with you for the last eight weeks was just such a gift. Um, I think even if I was not a coach as a pastor, so helpful, um, shameless yeah, plug yeah. when you do it again, like, I feel like we just <laughs> need to invite pastors and people, um, which is just super, super cool. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that whole world, it's so, it's so unique to me to think that I grew up in a Christendom where spiritual direction was just really a Catholic thing. And I'm so grateful that I get to be part of the story of, of the church, of the evangelical church, rediscovering some of these beautiful ancient practices of, yeah. of spiritual direction and, and, and just way of having soul companions that are walking alongside of us. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful too. You know, you and I both took the same, uh, D men program, the leadership and spiritual formation. And, uh, what I think it's brought to my coaching is a spiritual direction kind of, uh, flavor mm -hmm. to it. And so I feel like the, I, I try to at times, uh, be a coach with a spiritual director kind of flavor and sometimes it's more spiritual direction with a coaching flavor but it's nice to be able to have those kind of different tools yes. in the in the toolbox be able to apply them at the right time uh for in the right season for for folks yeah um i, I guess i guess the one thing that i i would say is if you're if you think you need a coach get a coach if you don't think you need a coach Eh, you probably, <laughs> you probably do. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, listen, I don't, you know, I know what I'm doing. I need, I don't need, uh, the magic of coaching is that you're not asking for advice. You're not asking someone to, um, to tell you what to do. You know, they're not consultants. They're not mentors. It, it is, it is a, this magic process of conversation where your creativity, your, your, uh, ideas get unlocked. And I, I just, I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to have a coach, particularly in ministry. Mm. That being said, I know it's a, it's a financial outlay and, and, and sometimes budget doesn't allow, but I guess I would just encourage people, um, whether it is coaching, counseling, or spiritual direction, 
There's no shame in seeking any of those. And, and it, it, who knows, it might be the best thing that you ever did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so true. And I think even just to remind folks, you know, we are, we, we, we've been doing the Monday morning pastor through the umbrella of Kairos partnerships for quite a few years. And if you, if this is picking and, and peaking an interest in you and you're thinking, man, maybe I should engage it. Um, you know, contact, get on Kairos's website and just send a, send an email. And what's great is you even get a free exploratory coaching session to see if it's the right fit with the right person. And, um, I don't know. I've just, I feel like it's, I know you and myself and JR and, and the other coaches that we work with at Kairos, like we just love walking alongside leaders and you're right. There's this like yeah. magical, magical space, whether it's coaching or spiritual direction that you just realize like, man, this is so good that there are people that walk with me and that I get a chance to walk with other people. And so, yeah, I, I, I feel like, um, I love those survivor shows like alone and, mm. um, you know, uh, say yes to the dress, like, you know, those kind of survivor shows. Uh, sorry. <laughs> that, that was, yeah, I think you're just shocked. You're like, what are you talking about? Um, but <laughs> is, is there a survival element on no. say yes to the dress? No, not that, at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, maybe I have to check you're this like, show hey, out. Wow. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think what's interesting is, is I love watching what people bring with them, like what Mm. they pack in their, in their, in their bag. And I feel like that's one of those things for me. It's like, it's almost, whether it's a coach or spiritual director, I feel like you, you have to have one, you have to have someone in your life that's walking with you in that way. That's helping you pay attention to what's going on in your soul, or that's helping you figure out what it is to you know, to work on that, the, the content, you know, the, the container versus the content. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's just, it's really good stuff, but yeah, I'm excited. We get a chance to jump into an interview that has nothing to do with what we just talked about, which is awesome. So Hmm. we get to do some, some unique things, but we're talking about technology and families and kids and, um, and just some of the different pressures that we have as pastors and as leaders with our families. And so, um, yeah, we hope that you enjoy this conversation that we have coming up. Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor, Andrew and Sarah. Good to have you back on, Sarah. Andrew, you're you're new with us. Thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I am a pastor in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, We planted the church about 10-ish years ago or so, give or take a year, depending on how we count it. And um, it has just been a very surprising vocational choice and calling uh, in some ways. And then when you play the tape back, you know how you look, you look back in reverse mm-hmm. and you realize, Oh, this, this actually made a lot of sense and was being prepared for this. So we love it. Providence. A lot of people don't know. They think it's somehow a part of, you know, long Island. And then they think, or they, they know it may be part of Rhode Island, which they think is long Island, which they then think is part of New York. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, we love it here. It's a very, like most of New England, incredibly post-Christian city. Um, there is, uh, you know, people can raise a lot of money to plant churches here because they throw up those dire statistics about the nature of how often people are engaged with scripture, or church, or Bible, or prayer, or anything else. Um, uh, it is it is truly a place where there's, there's zero Christian subculture or anything like that. But um, the beauty of it is on a Sunday morning when you, I get to look out over the congregation 
or pop into our, you know, home groups and things like that. And, uh, I am, uh, I'm, I, I, I don't have any question about whether people really want to be here for the most part. There is no mm-hmm. cultural pressure. Uh, people, there's far more pressure to have a really good brunch on a Sunday morning than there is to roll in a church. And so, uh, myself, our team, my wife, we've loved pastoring here and leading here and have such a heart for, for this, for this city and for the people of New England. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I know, um, you know, also being, I don't see, I, it's hard for me to think is Philadelphia considered new England? Like it's not, it's no. definitely the Northeast, it's Northeast, but I feel new England, right. it's Northeast, but it's definitely not new England, but you're um, new England if you yeah. for the Patriots, but that, Oh man. Well, <clears throat> that's illegal. I that's illegal that. in our space, but, but I, and that's how you know. I do apologize. Yeah, I do apologize <laughs> that Nick Foles did uh, beat the goat. I mean, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I think what's really cool is Sarah and I, we had Sarah on just a few earlier this season talking about family formation and discipleship. And there was it was such a it was such a rich conversation that we've had so much incredible feedback and it really resonated and struck a chord with a lot of with a lot of parents and a lot of, a lot of families and, and pastors and just folks within my church and other churches. Um, but, but Sarah and I had sort of an offline conversation. As soon as we, we hung up, uh, we, we, I just, she mentioned something about technology and something about schedules. And I'm like, can we actually unpack that a bit more? And I'd love to have you on. And she said, well, let's bring Andrew on too, because you guys did, first of all, this sounds really cool. You guys do a family retreat every year for your church. Uh, like, so, Tell me about the context of that, and then we're going to jump into some of the questions that I have in terms of technology and schedules and, and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, so we, um, this is the second year, but it's, it is clearly an annual tradition that, you know, we intend to keep going as long as we possibly can. But yeah, we take the families from our church up to a camp in New Hampshire and um, provide, you know, just great kids programming during the mornings for the kids. And then we have time with parents to talk about um, what it means to raise kids in the faith. And so last year, it was a lot of the material that was from my book. And um, that was kind of, you know, we sort of set up the, you know, the culture that way. And then this year, we really wanted to get deeper into um, how do we, how do we create culture as, as parents as leaders. So we, we set up parenting as leadership. Basically, that was the, mm. the theme of the weekend, parenting as leadership. And one of the things that great leaders do is create strong culture. So we talked about creating family culture and, um, and then kind of applied that in two really specific areas that feel like every parent needs to wrestle with at some point around um, technology and media and then schedules and sort of the the pace of our lives. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the thing that you had asked me a question about on the show. I think it was about Sunday morning sports. Um, Yep. And I answered very diplomatically. (laughs) You did. It was really good. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, well, you really have to evaluate your priorities or something. But um, after we stopped recording, you asked me what I really thought. And yeah, we, Andrew and I got into what we really thought um, in both of those areas, but also tried to give parents a framework for how to think about those two topics. And so, yeah, that's kind of what we'd be happy to talk about today. So being in a very post-Christian culture, my, my sense is, poking at and looking at something as sacred as 
Sunday sports for children can be a really challenging topic uh, to to jump into. So, yeah, I mean, lay out some of that framework for us. Like, you know, so clearly, what are your thoughts, your honest thoughts? And then how do you frame that? And what does that look like from a scriptural point of view or from whatever point of view that you want to jump into? Well, I just realized I because I don't have a a book that I'm hoping to get out there. She's actually brought me on to do her dirty work. Like, I just literally just realized, oh, that's why I'm here. No. I can say yes. the really strong things and she can Yeah. She can be well, Andrew, I'll, I'll split all the money we make from this podcast, which is zero. So we can divide that really quickly. <laughs> um I mean Sarah has such some great thinking uh, along this line um in regards to you know, to technology, but I'll just say you mentioned must be a sacred thing in a post-Christian setting like ours. I'm sure this is, this is, uh, you know, in urban spaces everywhere, if not beyond that, but I have noticed, you know, how we think about time where, you know, binging shows on Netflix is completely normative. You know, it's the only place where we can use the word binging in a positive context. Um, you know, I making sure we're saving extra money for regular getaways. Um, you know, this is seen as totally normal. Hitting the gym three to four times a week for an hour, this is good and healthy. Um, and then we start to shift in, like getting up extra early, maybe 10 minutes to pray before you start your day. It's like, oh, that's great. And I'm glad that you can do that. Um, and then there is, uh, you know, I'm going to, leverage my finances and margin for seeking the Lord and developing and discipling, you know, my children, we can, all of a sudden this begins to seem as like, Oh, that's a bit fundamentalist or that's a bit much. And, and so I, I think, oh. you know, I'll just lay that out as a groundwork underneath some of the things that Sarah's thought about with technology and some stuff we thought about schedule. It's fascinating to see um, how people, what 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 things in our schedule we we decide we say we have value for, um, but when we actually begin to apply that, feels extreme, uh, feels deeply countercultural. That's a pretty uh, heavy hitting framework to get us jumping into a really easy conversation. So yeah, I mean, Sarah, tell, like, what do you see sort of from from your perspective in in terms of the relationship that that followers of Jesus have with this and maybe even just the tension that it is. Yeah. Well, um, one of the, the, um, sort of driving, uh, biblical narratives that we're leaning into at sanctuary. And I mentioned in the book is, um, really thinking about Daniel and friends in Babylon, um, as a, an image of, of what the church might be like in the midst of our culture right now. So, um, engaged fully in culture, um, but absolutely unwilling to compromise um, on the things that matter most. And so what I see in both of these topics, uh, sort of technology and media and the pace and sort of craziness of our schedules is that this is sort of, this is the water that we're swimming in culturally. And we, we often don't even notice how much the norms are just shaping us. And so part of it is even examining um, yeah, what, uh, what do we actually, um, think and taking a minute. So 
we began the weekend helping families think about their family values. So to like use an old throwback term, right? Family values, right? What, what, but actually what are the values that you want your family life to be shaped by? Um, And so we did an exercise helping them think about that. And then in light of those values, let's actually examine our relationship with media and technology and then with schedules. And, um, yeah, I I just think this is these are two of the sort of discipleship. I hate to use the word battleground because I'm not that kind of a, a person in a way, but really I think these are discipleship battlegrounds um, because I think we are sort of uh, yeah swimming in a sea where this is just normal. And um, yeah, my son is 12. Um, he's the only one of his friends he knows who doesn't have a phone. Um, and you know my other son is eight and one of his closest friends has a TikTok account, you know, so this is just, this is normal. Um, and you know, 5 30 AM wake ups on Sundays to get to football and hockey and whatever is just normal. And I think we want to ask and want to encourage the parents in our church to ask, but is it good? Is it healthy? Is it, um, helping us to live out our values? Is it helping us to follow Jesus? Go ahead, Andrew. It looks like you're ready to jump in. No, I just was going to say, Rich Velotas talks about how our job is to not to like make our kids happier, appeal to their every whim. It's to raise like healthy, functioning 40-year-old followers of Jesus. He says it a bit more eloquently than that, but that's essentially his take. And um, I think that just ties in with this whole discussion because of, again, getting swept up in whatever the cultural rhythms of wherever your listeners are at right now and paying attention to how that consumes our time and how we um, navigate keeping our kids content and happy and uh, dialing in with whatever the whims are of their peers and how much that's actually shaping them. So it feels like so much of this discussion is about paying attention. Um, I heard someone say, I can't remember who it was, but said, you know, what you truly, you can tell what you truly value, it will flow to your margin. Evaluate where your margin is. And that's actually where your values really begin to show up, which I thought was an interesting um, you know, sort of evaluatory tool. Hmm. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because when I, when I really hit the pause button and think about just this, this framework of, of the questions, right. And those hard, it's a hard question for a, for a family to really sit and ask, because, you know, I think about the family that said, oh, well, you know, we're going to give our kid a phone because they're walking to and from school or, you know, we're going to try to do this because of this. And well, we want our kids to be healthy people, but it's interesting because when you, when you frame that, even with the stuff that you first said, Andrew, in terms of, you know, we, we go to the gym four days a week, you know, we put money aside for getaways every three months or six months. We do all these things, but the minute we ask a question about, you know, where our, where our value is all of a sudden it's like, well, that's fun. Like that's being fanatical or that's being a fundamentalist. Right. You're like radicals. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, wait, you guys don't do like sports on a Sunday. Right. You, you must be a cult, right. Or like, there must be some really weird, hard thing wrong with you. Right. And so I, like, I, I think I want you to paint the picture though, because you know, you mentioned, uh, you, I, I was, a I played ice hockey for a bunch of years, stopped from the pandemic, but I was an official for a long time, like love the game of hockey. Oh. and. New England is hockey heaven and there's no such thing as a hockey league that plays not on Sunday mornings. Like I I know that for a fact, like that's hockey is huge. 
but I think some people might be thinking, well, like you got, you guys don't know what it's like because like I'm down here in Florida and like, if my kid wants to get ahead in sports, like it's all about, they have to be available on, on Monday. So challenge some of those parents just like, Hey, you know, yeah, what, like what's happening in, in their minds and hearts in that? Yeah. So I think actually tying these two things together, um, I would say that parents can't engage either one of these topics in media and technology and uh, sort of schedule sports, exactly what you're talking about without wading into the waters of their own anxiety as parents. And so this, I think, is something um, so that fear that if I don't give my kid every possible opportunity um, to, like you just said, get ahead, that some they're going to be behind, they're going to miss out, they are going to not get a college scholarship, whatever it is that that there's some parental anxiety, and some of it may be based in reality. Um, but there's some there's sometimes some anxiety that drives some of our scheduling decisions around activities for kids. And on the technology side, so you gave the example of like my kid needs to walk to school. So just this is, and I I'm aware I'm a little extreme on my thoughts about technology, but here's what I think about phones. If there was a substance that had the same uh, correlation to teenage um, depression and anxiety rates as sm smartphones, it would be banned for kids. And I think mm. parents justify this decision out of a, a sense of it's safer for my kids to carry a phone while they're walking to school. But mm. um, so this came up when uh, we were first deciding whether or not to let our kids uh, trick or treat by themselves. This was a few years ago. And like I said, my kids are 12 and eight. Um, and my husband asked, you know, should we give them a phone? And I thought, okay, they, we have five friends' houses between here, you know, around the block. Every other adult on the street has a phone. <laughs> they, it doesn't actually keep them safer to have a phone. It helps us keep tabs on them. And that actually has something to do with our anxiety. So again, there may be good reasons that some kids need phones. In my opinion, they're not good enough. So I just, I think that we can't address either one of these without first wading into this idea that like, how is my anxiety as a parent driving some of the decisions that I'm making? Yeah, yeah anxiety. And then I think the, again, the value discussion of what are the values that are shaping my vision for my family or parenthood. So it's, you know, what if parents were as dedicated to their spiritual formation as they were to their kids' athletic development, you know, practice every single day, attend every single game, like no matter the time, no matter the distance, no matter the weather, we're going to pay for anything needed so they can participate in something that I think we would all argue, even, you know, the, 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 the award-winning football player or whatever, like who is a follower of Jesus would say that's the most important thing. And again, mm -hmm. we can acknowledge all of this with our lips and then walk out the door and deny it by our parenting yeah. lifestyle. Um, yeah, I don't know if I had shared these statistics the last time I was on the show, but there was a Pew study of Christian parents of teenagers in the United States, and they asked them to rank things uh, that were, you know, is it somewhat important to you? Is it very important to you? And 89% um, of Christian parents of teenagers in the United States feel it is very important that their children work hard. 72% oh, yeah. feel it is very important that their children go to college. 
And only 56% checked very important that their kids are Christians as adults, like that their kids follow Jesus. So when you look at that, right, it's like clearly in our country, we idolize these things of working hard, getting ahead, going to college, but uh, following Jesus just doesn't make it up in that upper echelon of, you know, our value. Wow. Right? Wow. Boy, I feel like that in and of itself should be sort of a, a call to alarm for many, many parents. But again, like, is, is that not the challenge that, that, that we have as pastors and leaders of like, how, how do you begin to convince parents like, hey, guys, like you're actually in what you think you're forming in your, in your kid, you may actually be deforming deep parts of who they are. What are some of the things that, that you're noticing are being deformed in, in, in the young people uh, when it comes to schedules and, and technology? And maybe you just pick one or whatever, try to tackle both of them at the same time. I don't, I don't really care either way, but I think they're both deeply connected. Yeah, on the technology side. So I think um, there's a, a, the framework that we've, I've sort of, we put out there to parents that um, I think is hopefully helpful. As you know, I'm a big chart person. I love charts. So we created this two by two grid of on one side, um, sort of what, what we called parent filters, like how much you're allowing in to your home. And then on the other side is child discernment. Like how do children, as they grow, you know, and, and eventually leave the house, how did they grow in their discernment about what they consume? So I think what's part of what's being, um, or it's just not being formed in the in the world is that sense of discernment. Like what is, um, so we have things coming at us all the time, both in the area of media and technology, but also in the area of scheduling opportunities all the time. These things are like, I just have this picture of like, we're being bombarded by all these things. And the, the words that we used with parents over this weekend was, um, what are the things we need to receive or reject? Or what are the things in the middle that we want to redeem? And I think it's that sense of discernment of what is good and holy and like helpful and beneficial or what is like just totally unhelpful and evil or what is in the middle that is warped and broken, but we could uh, work to redeem it. That sense of discernment, I don't see being developed um, anywhere um, in the culture. It is open season for just consuming media. Again, eight-year-olds with TikTok accounts. Um yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I think some of those then those like to kind of get right at your question, some of those things then that are coming in. Um, you know, obviously sexuality I think is a big one. You know, we we've pointed out in talks before how, you know, when Sarah and I, I don't know how old you are, when Sarah and I were kids, um, you know, to say in, in uh junior high or high school, like, oh, you know, I'm I'm not gonna have sex till I get married. Um that was viewed as like, oh, isn't that cute? Like a pat on the head kind of thing. Um, you're such a good person. You're such a good person. Uh, like, yeah. it's a little, like you're a little, little weird, but it was mostly, uh, okay, you're a little peculiar, but you're not like causing harm. If anything, you're viewed as like, oh, well, good on you. I could never do that kind of thing, at least where I mm-hmm. grew up. Um, and how that, has, that needle has moved to actually you're harming yourself, somehow harming your others. Which ties, I think, maybe one of the big things. I was trying to think of the big, some big categories, which is just yeah. authority in general, right? You, Jesus is Lord. That idea comes into immediate contrast with the entire, at least in our context, cultural narrative, which is no one has the right to tell you how to behave as long as you're not haus- causing harm according to my definition of harm, then like, then then run. And because there has been 
such a breakdown of authority because there has been some healthy, I know this is like such a buzzword and gets taken in a thousand directions, but like deconstruction, there has been some healthy saying, yeah, that was bad. And we're identifying where that was broken. Like so often throughout history, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We have punted on any view of healthy authority. And then, so as a father of Jesus, you got kids who are Christians and they're, um, they're being formed into the way of Jesus and saying all those desires and drives you have, the author of creation gave these to you and there's a right way to implement them. Um, Mm. And we're resisting that, you know, living, living the life of the kingdom without the king, you know, Mark Sayers famous, you know, line that has been helpful for us. Um, You are going to butt up against whether it comes to materialism or silence and solitude or rest or productivity or your sexuality. Um, You're going to come up against very, very contrasting ideas of this is what we just simply hold to be true. This is how we roll in our family. Um, And to be able to, you know, to Sarah's point about discerning and how we reject, redeem and um, and, Receive. uh, receive, you know, those things. The, the need for discernment, I think, is why the family discipleship discussion has like, at least in all of my circles, I don't think it's just of my proximity to Sarah, um, has seems to has amped up everywhere because we're recognizing that the cultural narratives used to map at least in some basic ways on right. Christian worldview is not anymore. And so something like sexuality, which again, back to your question, which is coming at us strong from a number of different levels or degrees. Um, I think that is deeply counterforming uh, our kids because the 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 rules around that um, are very different. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're you're hitting on so many of those spaces, but I love how you frame it around family discernment. Like, what does it look like to grow in discernment? And as I think about that with with parents and. And even just thinking about uh, my my wife's an educator. She's a health and PE teacher in uh, middle school, and they just had an in service day, and they had a person come in and talk uh, to other educators about the importance of letting kids figure it out and struggle through it. In terms of like, um, and they were talking about it from the perspective of like, sometimes it feels like over the last few years we've sort of course corrected so far that we'll just say yes and coddle to any situation right oh like oh you feel unformed because you don't have a phone or because you don't have a tiktok account fine we'll give you one and then you'll be okay and i think for so many people we've sort of bought into this lie as long as we give our kids these particular things they're going to be fine but i think that there's something even connected to what i hear you guys saying even thinking about that in terms of even in education they're saying actually it's okay to let kids struggle. Like that's actually a healthy way of like growing resilience is such an important part and thinking about how, right. Athletics may be something that your kid loves to do. And there may be some really redeemable parts or it might actually be a huge rejection. Like, Hey, this is actually not healthy for my kid. I mean, I feel like I've watched parents struggle through having coaches who are just awful people coaching their kids and like their kids are being discipled into this like crazy culture of like winning and all of that stuff. And like, how do you begin to help parents even think through that discernment process? And I appreciate you start with your values. Like, what are the values that you have? You look at the anxieties. What are some of the common anxieties that you guys see specifically when it comes around the whole sporting world uh, with folks that you've, you've worked with within your church? 
Yeah, with the sporting world, I think um, there is a, a couple families who are really engaged with sports. I grew up just as a background for people. Um, you know, my my I did ODP so- Olympic development soccer and ran track and did basketball in high school or, or soccer in high school. Um, you know, played sports almost year round. I had two other brothers and a sister who also mostly played sports year round. We were all like just good enough to like, this is really fun and I love to excel and I could get better. Um, so I, I love, I know I love sports. We could go 30 minutes on Patriots versus Eagles, you know, you and I, (laughs) um, so I, and I could, so I could sit and talk about all of the things that you can glean and the good things from that. Um, but I, I do again, go back to, um, I think we, we know really, uh, I think every, every parent, probably some of the anxiety has to do with either this is how I was raised and this is what I did and what I experienced as I was growing up and wanting my kids to experience some of that and living that out in my kids. Um, and I, I, I kind of beating a dead horse, I guess here a little bit, but I do think it is a, it is a, a placing of that value above another one at the end of the day, uh, above saying, man, I want my kid Yes, I want my kid to be able to like have better arm strength in a football game or like, I mean, my kid probably could maybe make the, the this travel team and that would be so cool and they would feel this great accomplishment. But let's be honest, like, do you have a Tom Brady on your hands? I mean, I understand if you're in that situation and like, it might be a little more tense, but we end up having these conversations as if our kids are the 0.001% of athletes who are going to go the distance. And that doesn't, it isn't meant to sound harsh, but almost every athlete I know, I mean, right in the other room is one of our residents who is a Brown University baseball player, like, like drafted, like killer opportunity. I asked him how many of the Brown baseball players, again, Brown University baseball players um, <laughs> are, um, you know, move on um, to, into any sort of other league. And it's like, maybe a guy or two, maybe. And I'm like, how many guys really within college ball? And he's like, like move on. And he was just like, it's just such a tiny fraction of percentage. So this stops. Um, and so I think I don't have like a really nice, sweet little tweetable answer to that. Um, other than there's the yeah discernment of what would be helpful for your kid, but ultimately recognizing um, that you are helping to raise not a professional athlete, but going back to Velotis' statement, like a 40-year-old, mature, resilient, passionate follower of Jesus. Um, I want my kid to change the world so they're going to be nice, but I'm going to spend all my time not teaching them about money, not teaching them about sex, not teaching them about love, not teaching them about the poor, not teaching them about the marginalized or the oppressed or walking with them through that, spending time having them fall in love with scripture. No, what I am going to do is spend all my time and energies getting them to the game. And I just think there needs to be a massive readjustment. Mm. You just kind of, kind of call it where it's like, well, for some people, it's okay for them to burn out in sports. I, I just don't, as a sports lover, I feel like yeah. I have a little, auton- like a, a little authority yeah. to go. I don't, yeah. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And I wish, yeah. I wish I had not spent as much time in sports as I did. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. My, my father was a, he was a, he was an all American four years in college, a real good ball player, tried out for the Eagles way back in the day when, wow. when, um, wow. when they had the tryout, uh, yeah. with, uh, Vince Papali, when he made the team, wow. um, and, uh, he, he played, he played, he played the equivalent of professional rugby. Um, and he was a health and PE teacher was a football coach, like loved the game. But he said, you know, just a couple of years ago, he had both of his knees replaced. He's like, you know, son, like sports were great because it got me out of some really hard 
hard spaces. And he said, I probably would have, I probably would have been drafted and served in Vietnam if I didn't get a, a scholarship to go play ball in college. And that got me a job. And I had a chance to, to, to pour my life into, into high school students and watch them go to college and like use the game. But he's like, but I have two knee replacements. I can't, I can't lift my arm up past my head. And he's like, but he's just said, you know, I, sports aren't everything. He said, after your, he said that that last college game was it. Like that was, that was all you're, you're kind of done. And so it's crazy to think that you would spend all this time propelling yourself to a point when even professional players retire pretty quickly. They don't have a long shelf life unless you're Tom Brady, but then we could argue then, you know, the shelf life may be a little bit long. Right. And he's I think 40, that there's something really years old. He's 45 years old. Yeah. He's the longest yeah. ad, like going athlete. And even he yeah. like dead center midlife. Yep. Yeah. And it's, and it's just, it's like, what, at what cost do we recognize that, you know, these things that we feel like, cause I can remember some of the conversations, you know, growing up and talking with parents and even having in my own brain is like, oh, this is going to help develop character or, oh, this is going to help them develop teamwork and play and all these other things. And, and then you realize that like, oh, that actually does work. I think the greatest thing my mom and dad ever did, they did not let my brother and I play any sports until we were in middle school and the school offered the sports because my mom and dad just said, it's look, it's just a game. Go fish, go, go play in the dirt, go ride your bike, go build ramps, go hurt yourself. Like just go do those things like outside, have fun. And it was just such a, I, I think like, I think the challenge part too is it's like, we're almost stealing our childhood from our kids because we think that what we do in yeah. the, has like the little ones is going to set them up well for the future. And it's like, dude, everybody eats dirt, right? At some point in time, yeah. everyone does dumb stuff, but yeah, I just, I like, what would you say to the parent who's feeling like super convicted right now? Like, have I screwed up? Have I like jacked up my kids? You know, like, I mean, my, my, my son's going to play college lacrosse next year. You know, my, my daughter is being recruited. Uh, she's already in conversation with colleges about playing field hockey and like, they love the game. They have, you know, interesting passions towards it, but it's not their whole life. And so it's like, what do you say to the parent that feels like, Oh my gosh, I've just pushed and pushed and pushed my kid. And I feel real guilty right now. Like how would you encourage them to life and to resurrection? Yeah. I would say like, get excited about the new yes that you want to make. It's like, you know, that every yes is no to something else. So like, get, get stoked on, I'm not, it's not that I have jacked my kids up because I've had them play sports. It's, oh, I haven't set them up for a greater success of like becoming the person God made them to be and maybe playing more of that part. So in the same way, like every yes you say to sports has been a no to something else. You're just, you're just shifting you're just shifting, you're just flipping them, flipping them. And then you begin to see like, if this really is helping my kids abide in Christ, this really is abundant life. Maybe I, as a parent, need to be resold, lack of a better way to put it, on the way of Jesus and on my role and my responsibility, like Sarah talks about all the time, of helping my kids become followers of Jesus. And let that, let that like move you to an exciting new season. I don't know, what would you say? Um... Yeah, I think, I mean, I think guilt is never, uh, it, it's not, it's not the best motivator. I mean, it, it's uh, yeah. effective in, um, when there's sin, right? Like guilt is helpful, but I, I think if there's a way to reframe, um, and not to sort of try to overcompensate out of some 
place of guilt or shame, but really I love that. Like, what's your, what's your, yes. Now it's uh, to receive it as an invitation um, to examine your priorities and also to think, yeah, it's never too late to start thinking about your influence in a child's life, whether they're heading off to college or whether they're two, you know, um, parents, as I have said a thousand times, right. Parents are the one key, um, the thing that has the most influence over whether a child will follow Jesus as adults. So really you have an opportunity right now to decide to use the precious time you have, you know, um, for the things that truly matter. So, yeah. And you know, the other thing, um, and this kind of ties back to the technology discussion, but yeah, when you were talking about resilience, I mean, that is something that is absolutely declining generation to generation. And I, I do think that there is something about, um, so for followers of Jesus, we've talked, you know, a little bit here about how, how it, it, in this cultural moment to follow Jesus is going to make us different. And so if we're afraid to, uh, let our kids, allow our kids to be a little different in this area, like, um, my 12 year old who doesn't have a phone, I will directly talk to him about, this is actually a muscle you need to exercise, right? If I rescue you from this feeling today um, by giving you a phone, what's going to happen tomorrow when uh, I'm not there to rescue you from the feeling of being left out when you choose to follow Jesus and your peers don't? Um, And so actually, I think for all kids, but especially for followers of Jesus, learning how to exercise that muscle of being different, um, I think that's important. Um, And I do think that there's a way that um, keeping tabs on our kids with devices all the time actually limits their ability to problem solve, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So I want to ask one question for each of you as as we kind of wrap this up, but um, Sarah, if you could think about the, the person who oversees children and family development within a church, like a children's pastor, children's director, family pastor, um, what advice would you have to them as they've sensed this for years? Mm -hmm. And they are just feeling, how do I begin to tackle this, this huge, this, I feel like we could, we could probably call it like a sacred cow, but like, how do, how do we begin to talk about this really huge cultural pressure? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think even the way that I answered your question the last time I was on your show, just very diplomatically, I'm aware that parents have a lot of feelings about this and I I wasn't sure even how you felt about it. And so I sort of tiptoed around that question and I think one of the things that um, I would encourage church staff to do is gather parents and have an honest conversation. We had such a great weekend talking very directly about these two topics. Um, and I think it was very fruitful. And I think parents were very thankful. We, we told them what we thought, but we also gave them frameworks for how to think about it. And I think that... Um, if if there's any way you could gather parents and say, we want to talk about this really honestly um, and to not be afraid of entering into that conversation, I think it'd be worth it. Andrew, I'm, I'm just thinking about the senior pastor who has sort of seen this play out in his family. Um, like what, what advice would you have for him personally uh, or her personally in that space of just feeling like, how do I, how do I begin to rewire? You know, I, I, like I get the yes, but like, are there practical steps that we can be taking to say, let's reclaim this, let's redeem this, let's bring this back in. 
two things immediately come to mind that have been pretty revolutionary for us. Uh, one has been Sabbath. Um, I don't know if it can be overstated enough. Um, the we have made this part of our church-wide uh, rule of life, or like um, you know, comment. I don't know if you're familiar with that language or not, but sort of yeah, our, yeah discipleship game plan um, has been that has been uh, if you want to be an active participant, a partner, and a leader in our church, we have this conviction of Sabbath, and and we 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 did that because. Uh, not to launch on a whole thing here, but I think so much of the of discernment of making sense of family values and family culture and creating meaningful space, not just to like dial out, but to engage in practices of refreshment and renewal. These things need space to happen. Um, and so they, they don't just happen on a Sabbath, to be clear. Right. Um, but I think it's a great, if you're looking for like a really like simple hands-on practice of can you shut it all down for 24 hours and just like putting that challenge out there, you know, Sabbath was made for us. If the Pharisees needed Jesus to say like, you know, God didn't make, you know, like <laughs> man for Sabbath, Sabbath for man. It's like, we, we need the opposite, um, the opposite encouragement. Like this was a gift that was given to us that we need to take hold of. And so for us, you know, phones going down for us. It's a Friday night to Saturday night. Phones go down at six thirty. Our kids are six o'clock. Our kids are allowed. If they see us on the phone for anything other than maps and setting up something fun to do. <laughs> they are literally allowed. We've asked them to call us out. Um, mm. We do like I do a little fun Bible study with my eight, eight year old, nine year old now, and revolves around like treats because God's word is greater than honey. And what's you know her version of honey is like some cookies and chocolate milk and we spend time in the word and <laughs> my wife and I we get to sleep in it's the one time my kids get access to screens we just reclaim Saturday morning cartoons so we get to sleep in and they get an hour and a half like yeah it's like tv should be a gift it's yeah. a fun little thing we do so I, I can go on and on about our sabbath but I think that was one big practice for us as a family um to help us resist and discern what's coming in because what it does is it creates a bubble and i think we need bubbles more than ever uh, mm -hmm. not again for the sake of running away but for the sake of being able to know who we are whose we are and being able to then love the world around us and so for us i can't tell you how many great conversations was between my wife and i or even our whole family who are we and how are we thinking about the world and resting well together and this is like our starting point for the new week we roll from that into church and then into a new week so even if we've had the worst most horrible stressful week we know sabbath is coming and my kids geek out about it and the second thing i'll say real quick is just a culture of prayer i don't need to go into that at all that sounds like a typical pastor thing but i i think when if we want to raise daniels i've been in this daniel series right it's, everyone's talking about daniel as a countercultural, you know great book to addressing our current moment. I want to know what were Daniel's parents like? Mm, and the one thing we, that's a great question. One thing we can say for sure is Daniel's parents taught that guy how to pray. And so that I think is my conviction is got to be at the center of all of this is a praying family that actually is encountering the Lord together. Mm, mm. Andrew, with that, can I ask you to pray for our pastors and listeners today? Sure. Lord, we, um, 
I, I would just would I would trust that anybody who is you know faithfully listening today um, who gets gets excited about tuning in every episode um, you know to those that just stumbled upon it maybe um, that uh, they're listening right now Lord because they do have a desire to um, grow in their apprenticeship to you to be leaders um, to be fathers and mothers to be uncles and grandparents um, we're walking in fidelity to you and are helping lead um, those around them well and lead the children in their midst well and so I just bless them um, with uh, with the vision and clarity and courage to take the next right step just the next right thing Lord, you are drawing your people to yourself. And we know that when we fix our eyes on you, Lord, there's, um, gosh, we find everything we need. You are a shepherd and we have everything we need in you. And so I just, I bless all those listening with being able to take that next, just that next right step. So thank you, God, for the space uh, that uh, the Ducks created for us. Pray the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you.